There's a fictitious story about a man by the name of Earl Hickey. Earl Hickey was not a very nice person. One day after stealing $5 from somebody, he decided to go and buy a lottery ticket. It ended up being the winning ticket, $100,000 it was worth. Earl saw that it was the winning ticket and he ran out into the street with his winning ticket and got hit by a car. He woke up in the hospital without the winning ticket, got run over, got thrown in the dirt, whatever. He was in a lot of pain. He only had his younger brother to help care for him. And after getting out of the hospital, Earl had this epiphany. His life flashes before his eyes, and he believes he knows why the car, the car hit him. Karma, he says. Earl decides that since he's been such a horrible guy, in the past, that's why karma has caused him with this bad luck in the present. Earl makes a list of all the things that he has done wrong in life. And in order to get karma to smile down on him, he has to undo all the bad that he has done, so he thinks. Now, technically, karma is a much bigger concept than that. But for most people, including Earl, it basically means what goes around comes around. You've heard that. Karma seems like a sensible concept to most people. You know, that guy cut you off. Oh, he's going to get it. Right? But believing in karma is really a rejection of the one true God who is sovereign over all things. So as we study our, uh, continue our study in the book of Acts, a growing church in a groaning world, we will see not karma, but we will see God's sovereign hand over everything. And if you would please uh, open up your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Acts. We'll be looking at Acts chapter 28 today. Acts chapter 28, verses 1 through 15. This is God's holy, infallible, and life-giving word. Please follow along as I read. When they had been brought safely through, then we found out that the island was called Malta. The natives showed us extraordinary kindness, for they kindled a fire and took us all in because of the rain that had started and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began saying to one another, undoubtedly this man is a murderer. And though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. However, Paul shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. Now they were expecting that he was going to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had waited a long time and had seen nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and began to say that he was a god. Now in the neighboring parts of that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us warmly for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius was lying in bed afflicted with a recurring fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and after he prayed, he laid his hands on him and healed him. 
After this happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and being cured. They also showed us many honors, and when we were about to sail, they supplied us with everything we needed. After three months, we set up sail on an Alexandrian ship, which had wintered at the island, and which had the twin brothers for its figurehead. After we put in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. From there, we sailed around and arrived at Regium. And a day later, a south wind came up, and on the second day, we came to Puteoli. There we found some brothers and sisters and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And that is how we came to Rome. And from there, the brothers and sisters, when they heard about us, came as far as the market of Apius and, and the three inns to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing and obeying of God's holy word. Would you please pray with me? Oh, Father God, again, we come before you on this glorious day, a day that you have set aside for us to worship you. Lord, we thank you for the time that we spent singing your praises and for our prayers to you, knowing that you indeed hear our prayers. And Lord, we ask, Lord, that we would now listen to your word. This is your word, Lord God, for us. And we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to not only listen, but to obey, that you would transform us and make us further into the image of Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So as we continue to look at God's word in our series in the book of Acts, uh, we left off with the Apostle Paul defending himself before several uh, different political leaders. And even though they didn't have enough evidence or any evidence to convict Paul of anything deserving of death or imprisonment, he was sent to Rome because Paul had appealed to Caesar. Paul and other prisoners were handed over to a centurion uh, named Julius, who would take him by ship to Rome, which ended up being a very long and difficult journey. The ship was caught up in winds of a hurricane force called a nor'easter. We've heard of these in our way, right? I think one's coming our way right now. And after suffering in the storm for several days, it says in chapter 27, in the earlier chapter, chapter 27, verse 20, it says that when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, many on board finally gave up all hope of being saved. I can't imagine what that would have been like, being out on the ocean, feeling that desperate that nothing's going to happen. But Paul stood up before the men and said, I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. And he testified saying, last night an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. What an amazing promise. He continued and said to the men, So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. And sure enough, as we begin our passage this morning, we will see God is faithful in keeping his promises. God's awesome promises. And as we, as we look at these first verses in Acts chapter 28, we are able to see God's amazing providence. 
God's amazing providence in the way that he cared for Paul and everyone else on the ship as they brought them all safely to the island. God did not allow the soldiers to follow through with their plan. It is amazing. So in, in chapter 27, again, just looking back just a little bit, it said, in chapter 27, verse 42, it says that the soldiers had planned. It was their decision. Their, their plan was to kill all of the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But God is in control, isn't he? That would have made most sense, right? Let's just kill these guys. We don't have to worry about them. But it says that God is in control. This, the centurion, it says the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. God kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered, the centurion, ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest were to get there on planks or, or pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land in safety. By God's amazing providence, he made sure that not a single soul perished. In his divine providence, God provided safety. God provided safety for Paul and for the rest of the mariners on this remote island called Malta. It is said that the name Malta has the meaning of a place of refuge. I don't think it's by accident that God put them on the island of Malta, meaning place of refuge. Isn't that amazing that God would show his providential care by saving them from certain death and delivering them to a place of refuge, a place of shelter and protection from danger and distress. Paul would be reminded in the scriptures of Psalm 46, which says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam. God is our place of refuge. God wants us to know that no matter what storms in life that you are enduring, we can take courage and know that he is our place of refuge. Jesus, God the Son, came to die on the cross for our sins, saving us from eternal death and separation from God to bring us to himself, our place of refuge. Not only did God bring them to safety to the island of Malta, a place of refuge. We, we see that God provided extraordinary hospitality. Once again, we, we see that God is in comp complete control of everything. What we see in verse 2 is that these natives, these, these islanders who did not speak Greek, saw this large ship destroyed before their very eyes along the shore of their island. And they came to see what would have been almost certain peril of, of many men on board. But what they saw were 276 men whose lives had been spared. It's great how God gives us those details. 276. They couldn't just make that number up, right? And so we see that God used these unbelieving natives to show extraordinary kindness to these shipwrecked men. The word kindness to use here is a word that we use for philanthropy, like philanthropists are those who want to help people in need. And this is what these islanders were doing. It was, it was raining and it was cold. And they kindled a fire or many fires for them to, to give them warmth and give them rest. 
You know, as I think of, of hospitality, you know, our church here sits in this international community which places a high value on hospitality. We have been a source of hospitality to them, but we have, I've been the recipient of hospitality as well. There have been times when I was on a team from the church following up from uh, a visitor to Camp Treasure Island or, or the kids' fair, and we would end up going to their house, knock, knocking at the door. We didn't have a pre-planned visit. We knocked on that door, probably close to dinner time, by the way. <laughs> and they invited us into their home, and they wanted to feed us. And, and make sure that we are comfortable and, and refresh us. Theologian Dennis Johnson says, when Christians gratefully receive the extraordinary hospitality of unbelievers, we may then have the opportunity to invite them to know of the extraordinary hospitality of God, who welcomes all kinds of people to his banquet one day to put their trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. In God's amazing providence, we see that God provided a missionary as well. God provided a missionary by the name of Paul for the Maltese people. You know, Luke does not describe to us an opportunity whereby Paul verbally preached the gospel, as he has in many occasions. He may have. We just don't have a record of it. But Paul most certainly preached the gospel by what he did, didn't he? Paul was a prisoner awaiting trial in Rome. They'd just gone through this storm. He, he could have been grumbling and complaining about this entire journey of, of being accused by so many people. He could have been anxious or worried about his own life and what was going to happen to him. And yet, it would appear that he modeled a person who was completely trusting in the Lord Jesus. So whether we acknowledge it or not, as Christians, we are all, in a sense, missionaries to those around us. And people are watching everything that we say and do. They see if we are grumbling or complaining. They see if we are anxious or worried. And they see whether or not we are putting our trust in Jesus and following him. The islanders and the other prisoners or guards, for that matter, were, were watching Paul very carefully. They were watching Paul as he willingly gathered a bunch of, of sticks, a bundle of sticks to help build this fire. I don't think he had to. He could have just said, that's not my job. I'm a, I'm a prisoner. Let somebody else do that. I've been forced to do that, but it doesn't seem so. Even though he was wet, and cold and exhausted, he still helped out in any way that he could. And the islanders were watching him. In fact, the next thing that happened was when Paul was laying on these bundle of sticks under the fire, it says that a viper, an apparently poisonous snake, had fastened itself onto Paul's hand by its fangs. I can't imagine. The viper must have been in the sticks that Paul had gathered and the heat of the fire caused the viper to come out of his slumber and latch onto Paul's hand. And when the natives saw the snake hanging on from his hand, they, they began to say to one another, undoubtedly, this man is a murderer. And though he has been saved from the sea, justice, which should be a capital J perhaps here, did not allow him to live. These natives did not know the one true God. They believed in a karma of sorts. 
Actually, they believed in all sorts of false gods. They most likely believed in a variety of gods like the god of the sea, King Neptune, or the god of the sun, the god of fertility, the god of justice, and so on. And they believed that although Paul had escaped punishment from the god of the sea, that the god of justice, whom they called D.K., would not let him escape. They were watching Paul very carefully, thinking that Paul was being sentenced to death for his crimes. The poison of the viper would most certainly kill him. It should have killed him. However, Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no harm. Even though he shook the snake off, they were still expecting that he was going to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. And, and they had, after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and began to say that he was a god. How fickle, right? People can be so fickle when they do not have faith in the one true God. These islanders had some sense of justice, didn't they? They, they knew that when we do wrong things, we deserve punishment for that. So they had some sense of justice, but they were not trusting in the one true God who is perfectly just and perfectly loving at the same time. What we see next is a display of God's awesome power. God's awesome power was displayed to everyone, including these islanders. He, he first showed that God is all-powerful over these deadly storms on the sea. God is all-powerful all, over all kinds of storms in life, and he is the one who controls the weather. It's not Mother Nature, despite the weather channel. Mother Nature, she's coming up the storm. Mother Nature, you know, you hear about that in the news. They're bringing another tornado or whatever. But God is the one who is sovereign over all of these things. If you ever look at your insurance, however, and what it covers, you will note that they will tell you, oh, this will not cover an act of God. <laughs> they don't say Mother Nature. It's very interesting. What a, what a fickle world we live in. So our world speaks about Mother Nature and it speaks about God. It's very fickle. Nothing happens by chance, though. God is sovereign over everything. And God is showing us in our passage that he is all-powerful over all of these so-called gods with a small g. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 says, The Lord your God is the God of gods, small g, and the Lord of lords, small l. The great God, the mighty and awesome. He is saying that any other God with a small g is a false God and an idol. God says in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 5, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. There's so many people in the world who want to believe that the God of Hinduism, the God of the Muslims, the God of Jehovah Witnesses, they're all the same God. It's not true. They're all false gods. There's only one true God. God was showing everyone that he is the one true God, not Neptune, not DK, the God of justice, and certainly not the Apostle Paul. They started putting the Apostle Paul as a list of one of their gods. You may remember back in Acts chapter 14 when others thought that he and Barnabas were gods. Remember? And 
It said, after God used Paul to heal a lame man, a crowd saw that they had, what they had done, and they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul, they called Hermes. But Paul and Barnabas refused their claim, shouting, we too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Paul is not a God. Jesus is the one true God who did come down in human form and saved us from our sin. Jesus came to show us that he is all-powerful over snakes and death. God is all-powerful over snakes and death. God showed us his power over snakes and death when he allowed Paul to just shake off that poisonous viper into the fire. What a display of God's power. What a vivid picture that day must have been like when, when God's power of seeing this viper thrown into the fire. What, what a picture this is of, of God destroying that serpent Satan from the Garden of Eden into the fire. As we read about Paul shaking off the poisonous snake into the fire, it should point us to that promise of God's power throwing Satan the serpent into the eternal lake of fire. We read in the promise of Satan's defeat in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where God says to the serpent in the garden, because you have done this, because you have deceived Adam and Eve and tempted them to sin, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will, and you will strike his heel. This was fulfilled when Jesus was, was crucified on the cross. That was the striking of his heel. That's when Jesus died for his people. Yet when he conquered sin and death, when he rose from the dead, he conquered Satan, crushing Satan forever and ever. This was the beginning of Satan's being crushed. Jesus told his disciples in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10, verse 18 and following, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. And then in Romans chapter 16, verse 20, the Apostle Paul writes, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Revelation speaks of Satan's ultimate defeat in Revelation chapter 20, where it's said that he will be thrown into the lake of burning sulfur and will be tormented day and night forever and ever. What a picture of God's power over Satan and death at that fire on that island of Malta. No wonder they thought that Paul was a god. It was an amazing display of God's awesome power. But God's awesome power was displayed uh, further in his showing his power over sickness as well in verses 7 through 9. His power over sickness. God wanted to display his power through his servant Paul because God saved them all from peril at sea and saved Paul from being killed by a poisonous viper. The, the people saw something powerful. And after hearing all about what had happened, Paul was now being welcomed and shown even more extraordinary kindness. 
This time it was by the leading man of the island named Publius. And it says that he welcomed Paul and, and his companions and entertained them warmly for three days. And during that time, we are told that the father of Publius was lying in bed, afflicted with a recurring fever and dysentery. Perhaps Publius was hoping to see the same power that saved these men from peril at sea, that saved Paul from certain death from a poisonous viper that may perhaps save his father as well from this disease as he is dying. God would once again use his servant Paul to display his power over sickness and death. Paul went to see the father of Publius and he prayed for him. And the people there would see that God answers prayer. It also says that Paul laid his hands on him and again, we're not given any details as to the words of Paul's prayer, but we're told that he prayed. And Paul was not the one who healed the father of Publius. Paul most likely prayed for God to intervene and to heal this man from his fever and his dysentery. Remember from Acts chapter 3, when, when Peter and John went to the temple to pray and they met this lame man on the way and prayed in the name of Jesus that this man would be healed, and he was healed. And, and when people who were looking on, they were astonished. Peter said, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that came through him that has given his this man complete healing, as you can all see, they said. The same thing happened in Acts chapter 9, verse 32 and following, with the paralytic man being healed. Peter said to the man, Jesus Christ heals you. It is important to understand that neither Paul nor Peter are the ones doing the healing. It is God healing in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. And we see in our passage that God answered Paul's prayer to have the father of Publius be healed. God does not always answer our prayers in the affirmative. As I shared with the children, the answer may be yes, it may be no, it may be wait, maybe not yet. We are told to pray according to God's will in the name of Jesus. We are told in the book of James, chapter 5, verse 13, if, if any of you is in trouble, he should pray. If anyone is happy, he should sing songs of praise. Is, is any one of you sick, he should call the elders of the church to pray over him. Verse 15 is often hard for us to understand because it says, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. It speaks of the prayer of a righteous man being powerful and effective. It, further down it says it, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. It's important to state here that we may pray earnestly and in faith and not have the results that we want. The Apostle Paul is a perfect example of this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it says that Paul pleaded with the Lord three times to remove this, quote, thorn in his flesh. We don't know what that was, but God did not remove 
the thorn in his flesh. He said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Now, don't get me wrong. God wants us to be praying according to his perfect will. And when we pray, we don't always know what his perfect will is, do we? If God answered my prayers, then my brother Paul would still be alive today. God answered my prayers, I would not be going to my aunt's funeral this Tuesday. But God answers my prayers. He did answer my prayers. He just said no. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, David. I need to trust that God's will and his purposes in my life and in the lives of those I know are better than mine. We don't know how our story would have ended if God did not heal the father of Publius. But because he did, it says in verse 9 of our chapter that the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and being cured. Every time that God chooses to heal someone or spare someone from death, it should cause us to look forward to the day that God promises for his people. In Revelation chapter 21, it reveals the future. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a, beautifully, as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a, a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. That is a promise. Our prayer should not be just that people are physically healed in our lives, although we can, could and should pray for that. But our prayers should be that God would heal our sinfully broken hearts by faith in Jesus, and that he would do this by what he has done for us. As we continue to look at our passage, we can also see that God always provides as you see, Sana, there's lots of GAPs here. You ask your mom about all the GAPs I've been putting in the, in the sermon here. God answered prayer. Now it's God always provides. God always provides for everything that we need for his glory and our good. God supplied Paul with everything he needed. It says in verse 10 that they supplied Paul and his companions with everything they needed. Didn't God do that, though? God did that through these people. After the islanders saw God's awesome power over the perilous storms, over deadly vipers, over sickness and death, it says that they showed gratitude. It says that they showed many honors and again supplied them with everything that they needed. However, God is the one who is sovereign over all, and he is the one that provided all that they needed, even through these perhaps unbelieving islanders. Paul's ship was destroyed at sea. This thing was obliterated. And yet God provided him with yet another ship to continue on his journey to Rome. It shows that if, if God needed another ship, then he could get one, right? 
God owns everything, doesn't he? It reminds me of the story when Jesus needed the donkey on his way to Jerusalem. And he said to his disciples, go into the village in front of you and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and the colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. God owns everything and he is sovereign over everything. So when God needed another ship for Paul, God provided another ship. This should not surprise us. It is amazing the detail that we're even given about the description of the ship. It said it was an Alexandrian ship that went, wintered at the island and had the twin brothers for its figurehead. The twin brothers were, are the Greek and Roman mythology of Castor and Pollux. They're known as the sons of Zeus. And the story goes that, that Pollux asked Zeus to, to share or to let him share in his own mortality, immortality with his twin to keep them together. And, and then they were transformed into the constellation Gemini. They were regarded as patrons of sailors at sea to give them good luck or fortune in their navigation through the storms at sea. There is no such thing as luck. Luck, as an acronym, is Lord uses circumstances kindly. Lord uses circumstances kindly. But the world believes in luck. And that's why they had these things. They had these, these twin brothers on the head of the boat. Yet these are just false gods that people back then and even today put their hope in. God is the one who created the sea and the land and the stars. He is the one who provides all that we need even Paul with his need for another ship to get him to Rome. And as they set sail, we're given some detail. We're get, not going to get into a lot of this detail, but it, it said that they sailed. Uh, and what they see next is that God provided Paul with fellowship with other believers. It says that God provided him with fellowship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. They found these brothers and sisters in Christ who, who they were invited to stay with. More hospitality. What a blessing that God loves us so much that he pro provides us with fellowship with other brothers and sisters in Christ as they extend Christian hospitality to staying with them for these seven days. And in verse 14, we see that God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. Looking back at Acts chapter 23, we saw that Paul was testifying before the Sanhedrin and the things were looking pretty grim. It says that a dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid that Paul was going to be torn into pieces before his very eyes. It was looking bad, but God's in control. In verse 11, it says that the following night, the Lord God stood near Paul and said to Paul, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, you must also testify in Rome. We knew he was getting to Rome. <laughs> but if you read the story, he's at sea, got all these things, get a viper stuck to his hand. You'd go, oh, man. But we knew the end of the story because it said God promised he would get to Rome. God's promise was to bring Paul to Rome. It had been a long and difficult journey, yet God promised that he would bring Paul to Rome. And it says in verse 14, and that is how we came to Rome. <laughs> sort of matter of fact, right? I, I kind of chuckled when I read that. And that is how we got to Rome. And because God brought the apostle Paul to Rome, many, 
many more people were able to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and put their trust in him. And you know, God has made a promise to us as well. To those who have faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, he promises to bring us home. He promises to bring us home. God will bring his people home. No matter what storms and troubles, sicknesses and sorrows that come our way, we can know that God promises that he will bring us home to heaven with him one day. And that should cause us to live our life full of gratitude and praise and courage as well. It should give us gratitude and praise. And that is exactly Paul's response to God's awesome promises. As God took Paul on this tumultuous journey, it says that he thanked God and took courage. Paul expressed gratitude and praise to God and was able to take courage. Brothers and sisters, no matter what storms or troubles or sickness or sorrows that come our way, let us put our trust in God's faithfulness and his promises to provide for us and to prepare us and to one day bring us home. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you and we praise you for your amazing promises in our life. Lord, we thank you that you are the God who cares for us and that you promise to lead us and guide us and direct us. Lord, you will never leave us alone. Help us to continue to be trusting in your faithfulness, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.